Uh, good morning, all. Uh, welcome again to our fellowship uh, this morning as we come, as we worship God, as we come to hear His Word uh, together. Praise God. We're going we're gonna to spend a moment in prayer. We're going to pray, and then we're going to open up God's Word to the book of Hebrews. And in the book of Hebrews, I want to share with you one very short verse. Uh, and I pray this morning that it's a blessing, a blessing to you. So join me as we, as we come before the Lord this morning in His presence. The Bible tells us wherever two or three are gathered in His name, that He is in the midst of us. And so the Lord Jesus Christ doesn't lie. The Lord Jesus Christ is a God of truth. And so He tells us that He's in the midst of us today. The question is, are we open and ready to hear his voice? Our loving Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus this morning. There is so much that, there is so much in your word that how do we contain it in just half an hour, Lord, or so. But Father in heaven, you are a God of truth. And I know, I know, Lord God, you know every single heart that is in this place. You know what they're thinking, how they are feeling, um, the desire they have this morning, maybe even the distraction that they have. But Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you are able to just gather their attention now, that their hearts would be open and that your spirit may speak the words of truth into their life. So Father, I pray your blessing upon us, this church, your people, those that are unwell, those that are struggling, those in need. We, are, we know that you are a God who provides for us. And we just pray this morning that you provide our spiritual need, our food for our soul. So Father, I pray that you have your way through your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Beloved, join me in Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. Um, I just want to read one very simple verse with you. Um, and I'd like to share some verses with you this morning that I think can help us understand this verse uh, for what I want to share. And I'm going to be sharing, I'm going to be reading a few verses today, but certainly don't feel like you're going to flick from verse to verse. Just listen, listen to these verses as I share them, as I share them with you this morning. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 1, verse 1 says this, Let brotherly love continue. Very simple, isn't it? The apostle's writing this letter and he says something very, very simple. He says, let brotherly love continue interesting think about it for a moment what's he asking them to do what is he asking them and for how long he wants something very specific from them he wants something that's uh, hope i think in his heart he knows is going to be the very essence of who they are as christians and he wants something not to ever fade he wants something never to lose its passion or its intent or its fervor. He wants something that often can begin very good as a Christian and very on fire as a Christian, all of a sudden can, can become quite lukewarm 
and can kind of start to become a bit sloppy as time goes on. And he says, I want you to do something for me. I want you to let brotherly love continue. Now, this morning's message isn't a message about trying to distinguish the the different loves in the Bible, because we know there's different loves in the Bible in the original text, whether there's agape love or philo love. We know there's different loves in the Bible that the Bible writers communicate. This message this morning isn't about that. This message is very simple. It's just about love. Whether you want to call it friend love or, or sacrificial love, it's about love. And what the apostle is saying to us is this. He goes, you know this love? You know this love that God's put in your heart? You know this love that you experience and you taste it by God the Father and has actually um, changed your life so much that so much so that you can't help but love? He goes, you know that love? I want it to continue. I don't want it to stop. I don't want it to phase out. I don't want it to lose motivation, to become slack. What I want it to be, I want it to be as it was from the start right to the very end. I want you to continue in love. That's fair enough. We're Christians, aren't we? That's what Christians do. Christians love. And so if Christians love, then surely that's not so hard that we would continue in this love. But funny it is because everyone speaks about love. Everyone talks about love. The whole world talks about love. The whole world understands something about the beauty and the necessity of love. Yet for the Christian, I believe they are called to a love that's of another level. And that's why it's embarrassing. It is absolutely embarrassing when the world shows more love than the Christian. And don't think to yourself it doesn't happen, because it does. You get homes where the world show more love to each other than the Christians. You get friendships where the world show more love than Christians. And I can only say to that, to the Christian who understands the love of God, you get children who show more love to their parents and parents who show more love to their children in the world. And I can only say that this is embarrassing. God forbid that that should be the mark of your life. But rather that you would come and indulge and experience and live the love of God in its full capacity and this love would continue. Fair enough? Okay. Because it is our duty... And our blessing to love. Call it what you want. Our duty and our delight. Our duty and our joy. Whatever works for you. But it is our duty and our blessing to love as Christians. If we just made it all about duty, if it was like just our duty to love, got to love, got to love, got to love. If it was just our duty, then I think it would, we would be worn out. Oh, got to love again, if it was just our duty, and if it was just our blessing, I think we would become somehow confused or discouraged because it was like, I don't feel the blessing. Where's the blessing? Because you know why, beloved? Just like anything you're committed to, anything you're committed to, work, relationships, friendships, a sport, whatever it is, there has got to be duty 
and there's got to be there's going to be blessing. Yeah? How much more the greatest vocation in your life, how much more the greatest calling in your life, and that is to walk in the footsteps of Jesus who loved. How much more the greatest experience in life, is there not going to be also duty and blessing in this? That when you don't feel like doing it, you do it. And then when you experience it, you experience it. You know the blessing of it. You know the joy of it. You know the, um, um, the delights of it as well. So this love that God has called us to, this love is not some shallow thing that, you know what, when I feel like it, I'll do it. But rather one I am expected to do. How, Lord? Well, we'll get to that in a moment. And this one that is going to bring great joy and delight and blessing to you and to those around you. And we'll see examples of that. So who doesn't want this love? Yet the apostle felt it necessary to say to the church, let brotherly love continue. He felt it necessary for that. So let me ask you this morning, in, case, in, the, in the light of what the apostle wrote, let me ask you this, this question this morning. Where is this love of yours? Where is it? Where is it in light of what the scripture teaches us? Where is it in light of the imitation of Christ? Where is it in light of how Christ lived? Is the love of the world stronger than your love for Christ and his people? Let's unpack that this morning. Let brotherly love continue. When I read that verse, I see something of an expectation for the church. Yeah, would you say that? There's an expectation that brotherly love exists. Would that be true? There's an expectation that this is characteristic of the Christian. That if someone said to you, let me tell you something about a Christian. Let me define the Christian for you. That the first, one of the first things that should come to that person's mind is they love. They love. Man, you should see them. They just love. What do you mean? Oh, they do this and they do this and just love. Oh, it's not some airy-fairy love, but it's just genuine, heartfelt, committed, truthful love. For God and man. First Peter, I'll read this out to you, no need to turn to it. First Peter says this Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. First Peter one twenty two. It's interesting what he's saying here. He goes, you've purified your souls, you've obeyed the truth, and you have a sincere love for the brethren. Do you get that? He says, you've done all that. You've purified your souls, you've obeyed the truth, and you have a sincere love for the brethren. I'm not doubting, I'm not doubting that you have a sincere love for one another. I'm not saying you come into church and there's this fake love for one another. The Apostle Peter wasn't saying that. Peter, Apostle Peter says, you've purified your souls, you've become Christians, you've, you've committed your life, you've obeyed the truth, you have a sincere love for one another. He says, and in light of all this, in light of all this, what I want you to do is this, I want you now to love one another fervently with a pure heart. Whoa, if I love fervently, then guess what's going to happen? 
My love is going to continue, isn't it? If I love intentionally and fervently, is my love going to go like this? Love, 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 love. No, it's not. If I love fervently you and you fervently love me, then guess what? Brotherly love is going to continue. Because the apostle says this, let brotherly love continue. So one of the things I'm going to do is this. I'm going to set my heart with great intent to make sure I love you fervently. And you're going to set your heart to love me fervently in truth and in holiness. This love for one another, because when we do this, the Apostle Paul says, that's the mark of a Christian. Oh, but you don't know what they've done to me. Okay, love them fervently. But you don't know how they speak to me. You, 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 love them fervently because let brotherly love continue. Boy, I reckon there'd be a lot of things restored, a lot of friendships restored, a lot of relationships restored if we loved fervently in the Christian home. You know that word fervently? Some suggest that word fervently means without slack. You know, like you've got a rope, uh, like the tightrope, you know, like the tightrope, and it's taut, you know, that image? And so it's without slack. There's no kind of slack in that rope. It's taut. It's very tight. In other words, it's this intent, not there to be any slack whatsoever in that rope. Could you imagine a tightrope walker saying, I'm going to go from here to there, and he puts his rope, but he, but he doesn't make it as taut as it can be. Can you imagine that? What's going to happen? He's going to start walking on this tightrope, and eventually he's going to go, down, down, down. And boy, getting back up is going to be really hard. So you know what you've got to do? You've got to love fervently, taught, without slack. Any slackness in your heart, you fix it up. Any slackness in your heart, you repent. Any bad attitude, you repent of that. Any um, uh, backbiting, you repent of that. Any silent treatment, you repent of that. All that stuff that causes a slack in relationships. Because you, you get the privilege of dying to yourself. What a privilege. So that you can love fervently as Christ loved. That you can love without slackness, so to speak. Like the Apostle Paul said, every day, every moment, walking in the footsteps of Jesus. Because what you then start to demonstrate is this beautiful picture of what, how, how God loves. And didn't we, don't we see God's love everywhere? Don't you experience God's love all the time? You know, we saw God's love. We see God's love in creation, redemption, and restoration. We see God's love in creation when God looked at this world and it was a blank canvas and, and splashed the beautiful paint of his creation all over it and we saw everything wonderfully, beautifully made. And then he said to Adam, Adam, it's yours. Look around you. Oh, God, you're, you're so much love. You're giving us so much. And then it got to the point where humanity was so depraved and caught up in its sin that he thought, what am I going to do? I'm going to become like them and I'm going to save them by dying on the cross and becoming sin for them. Well, we saw love in God's redemption. 
And then we're going to see, we see loving God's restoration because he's restoring our souls. Isn't the psalm says? He restores my soul. And this is love because God takes a broken man, a broken woman, an addicted man, an addicted woman, and he restores them. This is love. Until one day he's going to restore his creation and we're going to enjoy that forever. This is love. This is God's love done everywhere. We see it everywhere. We experience it all the time. And this is the very love because God's love always continues. God's love never fails. We experience it and says, God says, go, do likewise. What a privilege. We see it in our lives around us. We see it with people that we know. Think about the love of a parent to a child. Think about that love for a moment. Those of you that are parents would understand that your love for your child, how do you put that, how do you contain that? How do you define that? What definition would you give from a parent's love to a child? Tirelessly, endlessly, sacrificing, day by day, cooking, cleaning, loving, caring, band-aid, washing. How do you explain that? Only to find that the love that the parent has for the child, the child takes for granted. How do you understand the parent's love? And then how do you comprehend, despite the love the parent so endlessly gives their children, the child so commonly, usually, it takes for granted? How? How does, how does a child take for granted this love? So is it unusual? That when we speak of the constant, endless, faithful love of the Father in heaven, that his children may, God forbid, sometimes fall into the trap of taking for granted their Father's love? Is it surprising that our hearts would shift and somehow forget this great love of the Father? God forbid that we would forget. And when we come and we break bread together as children, as Christians, we remember the love of the Father and and in other things we remember God's love. But we should never forget the love of the Father and take that for granted. Beloved, let brotherly love continue. The expectation is that we would love perfectly, consistently. Make sense? That's the expectation. That we would love perfectly, consistently. Let brotherly love continue. That's the expectation. Let me talk a little bit about the responsibility. The Bible says this. In Colossians 3, it says this. But above all these things, put on love, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Oh, hang on a second. Now there's a responsibility. Put on love because it's the bond of perfection. You get up in the morning, you go to work, do you put your pajamas on? You might dream that sometimes. You go to work, you put your work clothes on. You go to school, you put your school clothes on. You go out for dinner, you put your dinner clothes on, whatever you do. You put on what's required, don't you? And the Christian is called to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. And guess what you're going to do every day? You're going to put on Christ. You're going to put on love. It's both a gift of God and a choice you make. The apostle says in Colossians, put on love because it's the bond of perfection. 
You want to walk perfectly with Christ? You want to walk in the footsteps of Jesus? You want to demonstrate a life that is walking consistently as Christ walked? We call that a perfect walk. You want to do that? He has put on love because there's this beautiful correlation, connection between love, loving, 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 and walking perfectly. He has put on love, which is the glue, the strength, the bond of perfection. Do you understand? Let's start with that. But some people say, oh, it doesn't come naturally for me. It doesn't come naturally for me to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. It's hard to do what Jesus did. It's hard to forgive like he forgave. It's hard to speak like he spoke. It's hard to turn the other cheek. It's hard to do these things where you've got to put on love, which is the bond of perfection. When you need to make a decision and the decision's before you, then you need to love which is the bond of perfection. And sometimes it's difficult to put on love, but this is what we strive to do. This is what we are called to do. This is what we do daily, because if we don't, we leave ourselves exposed. Do you get it? Because we have not put on love. And when you leave yourself exposed, it can be, end up being very embarrassing, can't it? Because you can do something, say something, you think, why in the world did I just say that? Because you didn't put on love. And this is the bond of perfection. And so every situation in your life, every day of your life, every moment of that time and every situation that occurs is an opportunity for you to guess what? Put on love. Everything. From the moment you wake up to how you woke up to when you go to sleep, it's to put on love. This is your dress code. This is the fashion of the day, if you like. Put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Every situation is an opportunity to love. But which love? Some nice feeling love that I'll love as long as they love me. I'll I'll love as long as I'm feeling good today. Which love? It's an agape love, a feel of love. It's the, all the loves of God. What it is, it's a love that loves like Jesus. Listen carefully. It's quite fascinating how we know the scriptures. And yet, sometimes, the passages we are most familiar with, we forget. It's fascinating. How we can be so familiar with passages that we forget them. I want to remind you this morning of a very, very important passage when we speak about love. And we hear it so much that we think we know it, and yet we forget it. 1 Corinthians 13. Let me remind you of this passage. Don't turn to it, but let me remind you of this passage. Love suffers long. Love does not envy. And sometimes it's useful to put your name in that passage where the word love is. You say your name where love is, because it's both challenging and encouraging love suffers long and is kind love does not envy love does not parade itself love is not puffed up does not behave rudely doesn't seek its own it's not provoked should have seen what they did to me. It's not provoked. It doesn't think evil. It doesn't there sit there rehearsing what the person's done and how you're going to get them back. 
It doesn't rejoice in iniquity. It doesn't say, yes, see, I told you they were a sinful person. It doesn't rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, it believes all things, it hopes all things, it endures all things, it never fails. It always keeps going, it never fails. Oh, that reminds me of something. Let brotherly love continue. It never fails. It endures to the end. It's steadfast and consistent. And this kind of love is really interesting because why did the Apostle Paul decide that the first thing he was going to say about love was that it suffers long? Why did he say that the first thing about love is patience? I don't know. Can I guess maybe why? I guess maybe why is because maybe patience is the thing that you and I are most tested with. Maybe this is the first thing we need to overcome that we are tested, our patience is tested, maybe daily even. And so Paul, the Apostle Paul, wants to remind us of something, you know, love, love, love suffers long. Before you even get to envy and being provoked and not rejoicing iniquity, just let's overcome this one. Love is patience. And isn't it interesting how the people that you're most close to, isn't it interesting that the people you supposedly love the most, you care for the most, that you spend the most time with, are the people who might irritate you the most. Oh, but they leave their things here all the time. They never pack up this thing. All the, they never switch that. Isn't it interesting how the people that supposedly you're closest to irritate you the most? And yet the Bible says love is patient. Every situation and every person is an opportunity for you to love. So those people that perhaps supposedly irritate you the most are the people that God has allowed to be in your life that you can demonstrate the beauty and the splendor and the glory of this love. Love, let brotherly love continue. The Bible tells us in 1 John, My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed And in truth. This perfect love isn't a word of love of tongue. It's not like, I love you, and then it's like, it's in deed and in truth. Deed and truth. It's action and it's truthful. You know, it's really interesting because this verse here cuts across everything our society is trying to talk about with love. Because, beloved, whether you like it or not, not all love is love. Because what it is at the end of the day, we're called not to, not to love in word and tongue, but rather deed and truth. When we love, we've got to love in a way that is truthful. We don't make up our own version of love. We don't say, oh, but this is how I love. And nor do we pat someone on the back who's doing the wrong thing and say, but I love them. Yeah, we love all, but we love in deed and in truth. We don't love what is not truthful. Do you understand? And we don't love in untruthful ways. Do you understand? But we always love. Do you understand? I want to make that really clear. You never stop loving. 
That's why the Bible says that hatred stirs up our strife, Proverbs 10. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers a multitude of sins. Because when I look at someone in their sin, I don't think, oh, look, they're sinful. Look what they're doing. No, my love for them covers their sin. It's like I don't see it because I want to love them. But I don't accept sin. Do you understand? Love covers a multitude of sin. Yet I know in my heart, God wants to set them free from their sin for their sake. No matter what they're doing, whether they're lying, cheating, sleeping around, whatever they're doing, love covers. But Jesus wants to set free. Do you understand the difference? And so this passage, don't love in word and tongue but deed in truth, is a call for all Christians to stop reflecting Stop reflecting on what someone has done for you. Stop immersing yourself in what someone has done for you. Stop consuming yourself with what someone has done to you and start consuming yourself to love them fervently. Do you understand? Stop consuming yourself with what people are doing to you and start consuming yourself and how you're going to intently love them fervently without slack. Do you understand? Because the Bible says, let brotherly love continue. Let it be your uh, expectation. Let it be your responsibility. Because what happens, beloved, what we see, we see so many examples in the Bible of people who loved. And because of that love, we see so many great role models. Take Ruth, for example, in the Old Testament. Ruth, who was left without a husband and, um, um, and with her mother-in-law and said to her mother-in-law, what? I'll go with you. My God will be your God. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. And she could have walked away feeling very bitter that her husband had died and she was stuck with her mother-in-law. But she didn't. Rather, she loved because she loved, guess what happened? She felt and experienced a sense of belonging, didn't she? She became, with her mother-in-law, like one. And when we don't love beloved, guess what happens? We, we start to feel a sense of being disengaged. Do you know that? Yes. We, we, we fall apart from people. We fall out of community. We start saying, no one in the church calls me. No one loves me. No one, no one understands me. Ruth loved. Esther was another really good example in the Bible. The Esther who saw the people of Israel, God, her people, uh, under uh, risk of being all killed off. And um, she was told, go talk to the king on behalf of your people. Now, she knew that if she went and spoke to the king, even though she was the queen, if she spoke without being requested to speak, she could die. But what did she say? I'll do it. And if I perish, I perish. So what we see in Esther is beautiful love that demonstrated sacrifice. She got off from feeling all about what was all about herself into what was needed for her people. And she got the blessing. Yeah, there's duty and there's blessing. Yeah? She got the blessing of experiencing what it, what it felt like to be selfless or sacrificial. And her people were saved. 
Joseph was the other example in the Old Testament. Joseph, despite how his brothers treated him, and if you think you've been treated badly and you can't compare yourself to Jesus, well then compare yourself to Joseph because if you can put yourself in his shoes and say, I still love my brothers, mate, it is a beautiful thing. So despite his brothers um, being envious and, and, and mistreating him and then lying to his father about him and then selling him off to the people as they passed by to Egypt, here he was at the end of his life saying, hey, God meant this for good, even though you meant it for bad. And he was able to love. And in his love, he was able to experience the blessing, the duty, but the blessing of how, what it means to show mercy. And because of that, the nation of Israel was restored. There was restoration. There was restoration amongst loved ones because Joseph showed mercy. He loved. And of course, we can't go past this topic without talking about Jesus, can we? Who washed the feet of his disciples and said, you know, I'm your Lord and look what I'm doing. Is anyone higher than me? Is anyone more elevated than me? I'm your Lord and I'm washing your feet. I didn't ask you to pre-wash. I'm washing them. I'm surprised you with washing. You came as you were. You came as dirty as you were. You weren't even allowed to think of maybe I should dust them a little bit. I washed them as they were. Go and do likewise because happy are you if you do this. And then, of course, he says this. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Because he says this, there is no greater love than this, no greater love that a man has than this, than to lay down his life for his friends. This is sacrificial love. This is the love when the apostle tells us, let, love, let brotherly love continue. Then he says to us, go and never get tired of washing each other's feet. When people love perfectly, beloved, like we just saw now, they leave a mark, don't they? What's the mark you're going to leave? So to wrap it up, when we love, beloved, when we love, we experience great blessings, just like we experience with God the Father. Do you know the Bible says this, that we love him. Do you know why we love him? Because we were good. Because he first loved us. Did you know none of us in this room could love God unless he first put out his hand and said, I love you. And we said, what did we say to God initially, some of us? So what if you love me? Yeah, but I love you. And maybe two hands. Oh, look, maybe outstretched hands. He goes, I love you. I love you. I love you. Yeah. And eventually we said, okay, I love you too, Lord. And people give testimonies over testimonies of how they survived. They, they, could, they should be dead by now. But God loved them and spared them, loved them and spared them until they came to him. I had a beautiful conversation with a little boy yesterday. He said to me, why, did God, why does God wait? Why is God's timing? Why does he just keep waiting? Why does he wait? I said to him, you know what? If God, did, if God chose to come back 30 years ago, I would be going to hell. So God waits patiently. God waits patiently. God waits patiently. And he loves. But that scripture that we love him because he first loved us is really interesting because that now is a call for us to do the same for other people. People who don't love us, guess what? Let's love them. And then through loving them, in time, we pray they love in return. Do you get that? 
Let's reach out our hand. It's like this big ice block, a huge, massive ice block that gets in the way from them loving you, and you love, you love, you love, you love, and all of a sudden that ice block starts to melt away. And eventually the warmth of your love melts that ice block away. They look you in the face and they say, I love you too. How long? I don't know. How big is the ice block? I don't know. But we love. This is the blessings of love. So, beloved, I was going to say, do you want to love perfectly? I don't even want to ask that question. Because if you're a Christian, that's what you've got to do. There's your duty and do your blessing. I want to rather say to you, go. Go and love perfectly. But let me tell you, to do this, in order to do this, you need the Spirit of God. Because the Spirit of God comes into the person's life and one of the first fruits of the Spirit is love. So to do this, you need the Spirit of God. If you're wrestling with loving, then I want to ask yourself a question here. Do you know Jesus Christ? Do you know him? Do you have a relationship with him? Do you have his Spirit in you? Because if you haven't got his spirit in you because you don't know him, you don't have no relationship with him, and there's no spirit in you, then, boy, you're going to be banging your head against the wall trying to love, and you can't. You're going to fail miserably. There's going to be a lot of slack in your rope. You're not going to be able to go to the end. You might go for a little bit imitating something that's called Christian love, but it's going to fizzle out. Do you know Jesus Christ? Because without his spirit, you cannot love. You understand? And if you don't know Jesus Christ, then you have an opportunity this morning to say, Lord, what am I doing? I'm trying to live my life my way. But I need you, Lord. And there needs to be repentance. There needs to be a turning away from your way to accept his way and an acceptance of his love, his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness, his spirit that comes into your life. That is called salvation. Hallelujah. That's why when that happens, the angels in heaven rejoice. There needs to be the Spirit of God. There needs to be the Spirit of God if you want to love perfectly. But if you also want to love perfectly, Christian, then you have to stop tolerating any sin in your life because if you tolerate sin in your life, you're not going to be able to love perfectly. Did you know that? The Bible says very clearly that in the end times, because lawlessness abounds or sin abounds, the love of many grows cold. Did you get that? That principle is still very true for today. If sin abounds, your love grows cold. So if you want to love perfectly, you need the Spirit of God. If you want to love perfectly, you need to reject all the sin in your life. You can't play with sin and then want to love perfectly. It does not go hand in hand. You reject the sin in your life. And you set your heart to loving perfectly. In fact, there's a very, if you read the scriptures, there's a very strong correlation between loving and walking perfectly, or walking perfectly and loving. It's, it's sometimes it's hard to distinguish. Because sin will make love grow cold. Yet you need the Spirit of God, you need to reject the sin in your life. And listen, don't think big sins. I'm talking everything. From the smallest to whatever you would consider to be the biggest. From the white lie through to whatever you want to call to be a big lie. I don't know. And then finally, you need the Spirit of God. You need to reject the sin in your life. And then finally, you need to do what Jesus said. And you need to give up your life. 
Remember what Jesus said? No greater love has a man than this, and to lay down his life for his friends. That is an absolute surrendered and selfless life. He says there's no greater love than this, than to give up your life for your friends. There is no greater love than to live selflessly. To, to reject the way you want to live for the sake of the living the way God wants to live. And when you experience this, this spirit of God come into your life, this rejection of the sin in your life, and intently, intently and fervently live selflessly like this, where you die to who you are for the sake of who Christ is, then you love perfectly. So I'm not going to ask, do you want to love perfectly? I'm going to say this morning, go. Go and love perfectly. It's within our reach because God has taught us that and God has given all that we need. It is your duty and your delight. It is your duty and your blessing to do so. Let me pray for us. Our Father in heaven, Lord, we're not content with just loving like the world loves. We're not content, Lord, with a, with a kind of hit and miss love. But Father, we want to love consistently. We want to love perfectly. We want to love as you love Jesus. And we know that every situation, Father, in life is an opportunity to love. And we pray, Father. We know we're vulnerable. We are people in earthen vessels but the demonstration of the power is from you, Lord. And as we lean on you, Jesus, as we walk in your spirit, as we reject the sin in our lives, Lord, as we live selfless lives, I pray, Father in heaven, that we as your church may walk perfectly in love toward one another and to this world. Father, bless your people that they may go with a heart and a vision and a commitment and a fervency to love. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.